You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Good morning, welcome to Riverview Church Online. Really glad to be able to share with you today. We're continuing our series, Church Forward, which is to ensure that we are aware, equipped, engaged, and ready to stand in this spiritual battle that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6. And the question is that I'm asking every week, are you battle ready or battle weary? We want to be ready for the fight that is ahead of us. Now, currently, we're looking at some of the enemy's weapons, schemes, tactics that he uses to ensnare or distract, discourage, uh, disempower us or destroy us. And these that we've identified here are fear, doubt, indifference, weariness, and pride. And so today we're going to be looking at doubt. And I think it's incredible that if you listen to last week's message, Margaret was preaching about Jesus being the way and the truth and the life. And she made mention of Thomas, who's commonly known the doubter. And, you know, that wasn't planned by us. It wasn't something that we sat down and kind of worked out together. But we'll get to Thomas shortly. But firstly, let's look at what we're dealing with here, right? What is this doubt all about? about. Well, the dictionary definition, the Cambridge Dictionary definition of doubt is that it is a feeling of not being certain about something, especially about how good or how true that thing is. Now, some examples, you might find yourself saying, he says he's going to pay me back, but I, I seriously doubt it, right? Or this offer is too good to be true. I doubt that this is value for money. Or maybe, you know, you hear Andrew saying, that he's the best looking man in Riverview Church and you have your doubts as I do also. But what about our spiritual doubts, right? I mean, what about saying things like, I, I try to pray, but I doubt that God really hears me? Or, you know, I doubt that God really loves me. I mean, is that one of your doubts? And if not, I bet that you could probably bring a few of your own to mind right now. Like We've all had them, we all have them, we've all wrestled with them, and often we are afraid to admit it to each other because we fear what people will do with that. And perhaps that's why Jude instructed that we should have mercy upon those who doubt. I mean, he's saying be kind to each other. We're, we're all in this together, right? Be gentle with each other. So a doubt's dangerous, like always. Well, no. I mean, they can actually lead us to greater faith if we handle them rightly. And we'll get to that soon. But the thing is, doubts can become dangerous. Absolutely, they can. They can grow and they can fester. They can consume and they can control. Fully fledged, they can become a big problem and give birth to something really dangerous. Now, Paul also in Ephesians, but in chapter four, warns, do not give the devil a foothold. Now, a pastor who I, I once served under said, it begins with giving the enemy a toehold, and then it becomes a foothold. And finally, if you give him a foothold, it will become a stronghold. Look, if you let it linger, 
If you give the enemy room to move, he will take more than you offer every time. And it's the same with all of these fiery darts that we've been looking at. As, as mentioned previously, fear and weariness are not inherently wrong or sinful, but it's what we do with them. It's how we handle them that really matters. Like fear is a natural, even helpful response. But left to fester, it becomes a parasite that consumes and leads to spiritual paralysis. And, and then weariness, it's part of life. We all get tired, right? But unchecked, it can lead to a spiritual weariness. And that in that place, we risk kind of checking out and just too exhausted to do anything. So how do doubts become dangerous? Well, let's take a little dive into this now. And firstly, I want you to bear two things in mind. And that is that, firstly, every arrow in flight, remember we're talking about fiery darts, every arrow in flight had a point of origin in the quiver of the archer. And then the second thing I want you to bear in mind is that every arrow in flight was intentionally aimed and deliberately released. Now, please note that this does not release us from responsibility or excuse poor behaviour or personal sin. You know, we can't say it wasn't me, it was the devil. OK, there are consequences for our foolish and sinful actions, but. Also, there is someone manipulating, pulling back the string, releasing the missile, and he knows exactly where to aim in your life. He's been at it an awfully long time. He's got a lot of experience at this. Look at this. In the garden, with doubt, just as with fear and with weariness, they all originated in the garden. You can see this in Genesis 3. I've referenced this every single week. And fear was first seen when Adam and Eve were afraid and hid from God. And weariness was first experienced when, as a result of the fall, the land produced toil and hardship. But both were the result of the fall but doubt, well, doubt led to the fall. Look at this. It's the oldest trick in the book. The weaponized question, did God really say? You can see that in Genesis 3 verse 1. It was the intention of the serpent to sow the seed of doubt that leads to unbelief in order to turn their focus from God away from the living God. There's a progression there that when doubts, uh, that's when doubts become dangerous. You know, the difference uh, between doubt and belief, doubt is the toehold, unbelief is the stronghold. Doubt is the question mark and unbelief is the resolute answer. Unbelief is putting God out of the picture and it perpetuates when trying to find answers and solutions outside of him. That's when doubts become dangerous, when they become unbelief. Look, 
Adam and Eve were not responsible for the serpent's presence in the garden, right? And neither were they responsible for the words that he fired at them, the question that he put to them. But they were responsible for their responses, for their actions, for what they did with the question. And instead of trusting the one who'd breathed air into their lungs, they trusted the one who would poison their bloodline. And that was his intention all along. Their actions bore consequences that we see to this very day. Consequences that hurt to this very day. What pain or sickness or rage, what malign thought or terror or temptation have you faced Perhaps even this morning, this very morning. Well, they are arrows that are fired from the serpent of the garden. And his game is the same now to sow the seed of doubt, to turn our focus from the living God. What will you do with that? You know, the cunning snake is sowing the same insidious seeds of doubt through the same question today. His game is to cause doubt in everything, particularly in God's word. Does God really hear you when you pray? Does does God really intend the best for you? Does he really love you? Do you really have to forgive those who hurt or offend or annoy you? Uh, surely the, the Great Commission doesn't really apply to you, does it? I mean, you know, these questions, they're not wrong or sinful to ask, but what you do with them is so very important. Those who are filled with unanswered or poorly answered doubts will follow every wind of human wisdom or logic at the expense of truth. In fact, truth becomes relative instead of definitive. There is no absolute truth when you go down that road. It's exactly what we are seeing today in a society that is pushing God out of the frame. It is attempting to rewrite any history that does not fit the the modern sensitive narrative or to cancel things or people that don't fit this new worldview, who don't agree with society's superior modern knowledge. The questions are exactly the same. Did God really? Like, did Jesus really exist? Was he really God and man? Was he really raised from the dead? Did God really only create male and female? Did God really say that marriage is to be between man and woman? I mean, look at this, it's not limited. These questions are not limited just to society. Satan plans to use doubts to grow into unbelief within the church, and he wants the church to doubt God's word. It's happening right now within the so-called progressive Christianity. It seeks to cancel parts of God's words that don't fit 
with their theology, to rewrite theology, to rewrite teaching, to rewrite church history so that it fits our modern worldview. Look, unbelief is putting God out of the picture. Any part of God that we put out of the picture is putting God out of the picture. It is imagining our past, our present moment, or our future without Jesus firmly in our view. And it perpetuates when we try to find our answers and our solutions outside of the great I am. So what will you do with your doubts? Where are you asking? Who are you asking? Uh, are you waiting on an answer even though it tarries? Or are you trying to plug the gaps yourself like a kid building a dam in a stream or trying to force pieces of a jigsaw into a puzzle where they don't belong? Look, you're not responsible for the source of the arrow. It has been levied at you by the deceiver, by the accuser, the one who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But what you do with it matters. Crucially, implicitly, overwhelmingly, it matters. So let's have a look at two very brief examples of this. Abraham and Thomas. Now, Abraham... We can read about this in Genesis between chapters 12 and 21. It's a big section, so we're not going to get into it today, but I just flick through it later on and you'll see what I'm talking about here. Abraham believed the unbelievable and th that through him would come a great nation. And it was credited to him as righteousness. But his faith wasn't flawless by any stretch. He messed up because he forgot who he was supposed to keep in view. He, he fully trusted God would do what he said he would, okay, and hence he was uh, credited with this righteousness to his account. But he first assumed that this would obviously have to be through Eliezer, a trusted but non-related member of his household, who was an heir to his fortune. Why? Because Abraham didn't have kids. He was old. His wife was old. And then even after God told him directly that it would be through his own son that this great nation would come, he took a good look at Sarah and he disbelieved the possibility because of her age. And I want you to see right here the very same questions from the garden, but also notice Abraham's responses each time. First question, did God really say that I, an old man, would have a son? I mean, surely not. So he took the question to God and all is well because God answered him. But then the second time, did God really say that I would have a son through Sarah? Like he took that question to Sarah, who then pointed him to Hagar, her servant. Look, at this point, all is not well. Abraham and Sarah, they took the matter into their own hands, answered the, their own question, and Ishmael was born. And you know what? Ever since that point throughout history, Ishmael has been at enmity with Isaac, exactly as God said as he was born. Look, there is no good to come from when our doubts lead to our own bungled attempts to kind of help God along the way and answer the question ourselves. 
Secondly, we come to Thomas. Like Thomas refused to believe the resurrection until he saw with his own eyes. And again, do you hear the familiar question here? Did God really raise Jesus from the grave? I mean, surely not. I won't believe it, but watch this, unless I see it. And I want to be fair to Thomas here, as Margaret mentioned last week. I mean, maybe Thomas still had Jesus's words ringing in his own ears. People will tell you, Jesus says in Luke 17, there he is or here he is. Do not go running off after them. I mean, this is the reason that I think it's unfair to negatively label Thomas as a doubter. He just did not want to accept something that was false. He wanted the genuine article. You and I are the same. I I hope we're the same. Like, Do not accept every whisper of the wind or chase after things that are not of God because they look good or sound logical. Yes, Thomas had questions and doubts. And the thing is, he did not push his questions to the back of his mind or ignore them. He literally went and found the answers in Jesus's nail pierced hands. I, I don't really trust a person who says that neither do they nor have they wrestled with doubts. Why wouldn't I trust somebody like that? Because their brains have not given their faith room to grow. There was a guy centuries ago called Anselm of Canterbury who said that faith seeks understanding, faith seeking understanding. He is not saying that understanding will replace faith, but rather it will underline faith. Seeking understanding is as seeking the answers to the questions that our doubt asks. Understanding is not contrary to faith. Look what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 5 to 7. He says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. The list goes on, but pause there. Peter says, add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. It is important that we add knowledge to what begins with faith. Like dealing with doubt is not saying don't ask the questions. It's not saying don't test. I mean, test even what you hear from others, even from the front of this church, even from this very pulpit or any prophetic utterance that you hear in this place. It's not saying don't test theological persuasions or doctrines or fads. The thing is, we should not test against what feels right at the time or what fits society's narrative, but we should test against what we know to be true and trustable. We should test against what we know we can know God has said through scripture. Thomas's doubts and questions were answered and satisfied in the presence of Jesus and this led to greater faith. When we seek understanding to underline our faith, it always leads to greater faith. So too will yours be as you intentionally seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Look, put your doubts and your questions to God through prayer and through scripture and then wait there 
seek diligently, wait upon him, and you will find. So as I wrap up this morning, look, are doubts always dangerous? No, they're really not. But they certainly can become dangerous if we don't handle them correctly. Where will you take yours? What will you do with yours? Will you try to patch your own answers together to reach for your own limited wisdom? Will you rely on what seems logical at the time or progressive or current in society to provide answers? Or will your faith seek understanding? Will you trust the one who has already spoken and look to his written, spoken word. But James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. <laughs> there we are, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. If you feel this morning blown and tossed by the wind, wouldn't you love to find safe anchorage now? It's found in the harbour of his wisdom, which is superior to even our highest logic. But I actually want to close with this this morning, because often we succumb to our doubts, despite our greatest intentions, despite our best efforts. I want you to notice this morning and be encouraged that despite our repeated doubts and unbelief and all the associated screw-ups that we make because of that, God has always remained faithful and he is always willing to show us his hands. In Romans 3 we read, what if, we're, what if some were unfaithful? Would their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. So let God be true and every human being a liar. Abraham and Sarah, they still had Isaac and the nation became great. And he was still credited with righteousness because he believed in the ultimacy of the promise, even as he doubted the means through which God would achieve it. Now, for Adam and Eve, God provided, like he provided a way back to the garden through sacrifice, through Jesus's blood, so that their relationship to God could be restored. He provides the means for us to return and to trust him today. How do we avoid doubts turning into dangerous unbelief? Proverbs 3 verses 5 to 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I want to close with a question. Whose wisdom is greater? Yours? Society's? mine or God's. Let's look to him 
Let's trust in him alone and find our security and our freedom from unbelief and the answer to our doubts in him and in him alone. Bless you today. Amen.